Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 22 tonight. And I'm going to try to be brief this evening. We'll see how that goes, amen. But I'm going to try to be brief this evening. We've got a lot going on. And I just want to give you a few thoughts out of the 22nd chapter of Genesis. Now, I know we preached on this chapter last week. But tonight I want to dwell specifically on Abraham's faith. And I've titled tonight's message, part number 13 in our series, Faith Displayed. And we find that to be the overwhelming theme of Genesis chapter number 22. And I'm going to read a passage out of James as well that will also give some weight to this thought. But I want to read for you the first 14 verses once again, just as we did last week. And I pray your attention that you'll give the earnest heed to the Word of God that it deserves. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. And offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you again for this privilege and honor to stand and to preach to your people, Lord, in your, pe- in your pulpit with your word. And Lord, I covet the power and working of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just confess that except you do the work that needs to be done, it won't be accomplished. You know each heart's need, Lord. And I pray that you convict the hearts according to your will. Father, help that when we've left this place, we'll know that we've met with you, that you've spoken to our hearts, that we've obeyed you, Lord. I pray that all this would be done in a way that bring you glory and honor. We love you, Lord. Because of Calvary, we love you. Teach us to love you more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I spent all week studying over this passage. I've actually spent about two weeks studying this passage with the thought of Abraham's faith in mind. And it took me a while to come to a grasp of understanding about faith 
in this passage. This is probably one of the more mispreached passages in the Word of God. We find that this passage is preached as pertaining to sacrifice, self-sacrifice. But we find if we study this passage scripturally, that sacrifice or self-sacrifice is not the theme of this passage. And certainly as it relates to prophetical terms, we see Christ in this passage. And we can look in this passage, and I'm always reminded when I look in this uh, chapter and, and I see where Abraham lift up his eyes and saw the place off of, in verse number 4, and then where he lift up his eyes in verse 13 and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And I always think about what the sinner must see before he can become saved, before he can know the Lord. And he's got to see the place of Calvary, the price that was paid for his sin debt. But it's not enough that he know the place. He's got to know the propitiation of that place as well. He's got to know the sacrifice. It wasn't until Abraham saw the ram afar off that he said, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And certainly there's a lot of great truths. But these truths do not necessarily pertain to Abraham's faith. And as I studied this passage and tried to gain an understanding of what is taking place with the faith of Abraham, I found myself drawn to James chapter number 2. And turn with me there, if you will. We're going to read a few verses in that passage. And yet, when I read this passage, I'll go ahead and admit to you. Now, you know better than to think that your preacher has all the answers, right? Amen? Somebody say amen right there. You worry me if you don't. And you know enough to know that your preacher, when he studies, he ain't got everything figured out. And as I studied this passage, it brought about more questions almost than it did answers. But the Lord helped us to understand it, and I want to help you to understand it tonight too. You won't understand what's taking place in Abraham's life in Genesis 22 until you understand what's said about this episode in James chapter number 2. And listen to what it says in verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works." Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Notice this. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with works? And by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, as I read that passage, I'm going to be honest with you to say that it brought up some questions. I mean, as I study my Bible, I find that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. As I study my Bible, I find out that for by grace are you saved uh, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And yet, as I read this passage, I was perplexed by this term, justified. I know what justified means. You know what justified means. But we find as we look at this word, and I'm not a big word study fellow. I'm like old Dr. Malone used to say, I know a little Greek and a little Hebrew. The little Greek owns a deli and the little Hebrew runs a dry cleaner. Amen. But I find that this word justified is used all through the word of God. And sometimes it's used as relates to salvation. And yet sometimes it's used in the understanding that we use it today, which is that of vindication. That of authentication. In other words, uh, wisdom is justified of her children. In other words, we might say, I feel justified in what I'm doing. Or I have been vindicated in what I'm doing. And when you read James chapter number 2, you find that this is the theme in which this episode of Abraham is brought into as an example. That you can have all the faith in the world, but if that faith does not motivate you to good works, it's dead. It's alone. Some have said, preacher, do you believe in faith or do you believe in works? And I say with the old men of God that I believe in faith alone for salvation, but I believe in a faith that works. I believe in a faith that moves you to serve and to work for God. And faith is just a vain ideal, just an an ideological mystery if it doesn't move and encourage and provoke us to serve God. We find this to be the theme that is spoken of in James chapter 2 concerning the instance on Mount Moriah. And so I've titled this message, Faith Displayed. We find that in all the working in Abraham's life that's been taking place, we find a climactic manifestation of the faith that was within the heart and bosom of Abraham shown to us in Genesis 22. Now, there's a lot that could be said that doesn't relate to his faith. But I want us to notice about four things that he says. And I want us to notice how they relate and manifest the faith that he had. Let me just put it this way. I wouldn't give a plug nickel for a faith that don't cause you to serve God. Amen? Are are you with me this evening? I wouldn't give a plug nickel for a faith that, that couldn't get you into the church house. I wouldn't give a plug nickel for a faith that couldn't get you to live holy and live right. You say, preacher, are you saying if a man's not living for God that he's not saved? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm merely saying that true biblical faith motivates us to live and to serve God. I want us to look in Genesis 22 again. And I want us to notice Abraham makes five statements in this chapter. Two of them are very similar, and so we'll speak of them in the same breath. And I want us to examine what he's showing by his statements about his faith. Look in verse number 1 again. As the chapter opens, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now that little word, behold, that's not just saying I'm right here, Lord. But that word has the connotation of offering yourself up for services. And so what Abraham is really saying here is God speaks to Abraham's heart. And almost like a soldier that steps to the front of the line and says, I'll volunteer, I'll go, whatever the task may be. I'm your man, I'm your soldier, I volunteer. Abraham steps up and says, Lord, what is it that you ask of me? Now that's a beautiful thing. But that tells me something. We see a word of providence in verse number 1. That tells me that Abraham had faith, listen to me, in the will of God for his life. He didn't ask God what God was going to have him do. He didn't ask God where his will was going to take him. 
But we find he ought to be used to that by now. Amen. That's how he's walked his whole life. And when the time comes, he steps forward and he's not asking for any details. He just says, Lord, I'm here for you. Let me tell you what we do. Whenever we put stipulations and contingencies upon serving God, we're telling God we don't really trust him. Does it come much plainer than that? Somebody say amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we say, Lord, I'll serve you, but what we're saying is, Lord, I don't trust that you have my best interests at heart. Or maybe we believe he has his best interests, but we're saying, Lord, I don't believe you really know what you're doing. Anything other than unconditional obedience is evidence of doubt in the heart of the believer. We don't believe the Lord's really going to take care of us. We don't believe he's really got our best interests in heart and mind. I find it over and over and over again when I worked with teenagers. Teenagers, you know, they want God's whole plan for their life now. <laughs> Amen. It's probably a good thing they don't have it. It'd scare them to death. They want to know everything is, that God is ever going to have them to do. And you know why they want it? And listen, this is just the teenage heart. I mean, and I don't mean this condescending. I don't know if you realize this, but a few of you used to be teenagers. Amen. And you were like this too. So I'm not talking down on teenagers. I love them to death. Amen. You can get them to do anything. And, you know, I'm not talking that. But you know what teenagers are? They're scared of the will of God. They're scared and they want to know what God has for their life. They want to get it all down on paper because they're scared of what it's going to turn out to be. But let me tell you something, neighbor. Adults are just as bad about it. We pray with contingencies. We pray with contingencies. People have talked about, you know, we're excited about the baby, Lord willing, coming in November. Most of you know that we lost one to miscarriage last January. And, uh, you know, I, honestly, honestly, my flesh and my heart and my mind, we don't want to go through that again. Now, I'm not trying to elevate myself. I'm flesh. I'm dirt and dust. But people have asked us about it and how, how, how we feel about it and what are we thinking. And I've told people, I just want the perfect will of God. I, and I don't say that to puff myself up. Listen, I'm nothing. But it ought to be that as believers, no matter what we're facing, hey, let me tell you something, neighbor. It could be the perfect will of God is that we lose that baby. I'm being honest with you. You say, preacher, your wife's sitting right there. Yeah, we've talked about it. We've talked about it. She's not saying anything that we've not talked about, or I'm not saying anything we've not talked about. We understand that. And we want the perfect will of God, whatever it is. You say, preacher, you don't know what you're saying. Trust me, I do. I've been there. It's tough. It's rough. It's difficult. And those of you that have been through it, you know what I'm talking about. But listen, if I don't want the perfect will of God for my life, I want less than the best that I can have. You hear me? If I don't want God's absolute perfect will, I'm settling for second best. And let me tell you what the devil's in the habit of doing. The devil is not interested in getting God's people to give up God's best for his worst. They're interested in them giving up God's best for the second best. You find it over and over and over and over again in the Word of God. Uh, Satan is not trying to get you to immediately run headlong into sin. He just doesn't want you to realize the will of God for your life. He doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to see God work in your life. That's what He wants. You say, how do I find that? By submitting yourself to the will of God. 
It was an evidence of Abraham's faith in God's providence. But don't you notice a second thing? Look at what he says. I believe it's verse number five. The Bible, and by the way, he says at verse number 11 the same thing. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. You know, sometimes it's scary when we answer the call of the will of God. And sometimes it's, it's a relief when we answer the call of the will of God. But no matter what it is, it's his perfect will in all circumstances. Look at verse number five. And Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. This is missed by most people that deal with this passage. And that verse, it it signifies to me, along with the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, reinforces this truth. This was not a story of sacrifice. It was a story of faith. We see a word about providence, but we see a word about preservation too. Abraham was not anticipating coming back off that mountain without Isaac. He wasn't anticipating it. The book of Hebrews chapter number 11 says that he reckoned that God was able to raise him up. You know what Abraham was saying? Abraham was saying, God's promised me that in Isaac my seed will be called. Isaac has no children. And so for God to keep his promise, he'll either have to stay my hand or raise my son. But one way or the other, God will preserve me. He says, we're going yonder. But we're both coming back one way or the other. Do you believe God will preserve you? Man, that's easy. That's easy to say. We'd all say it. We'd shout about it. We'd cry. We'd moan. But but really, when the chips are on the table, maybe that's a carnal illustration or turn of phrase. But but when the heat is on, do you really believe God will preserve you or do you believe he'll let you fall? Do you believe he'll let you fail? Do you believe he'll let you hang out to dry? Listen, neighbor, I'm not saying that we're not going to sin and mess up, but I'm talking about when we're oppressed by those around us. And can I say that, listen, I, a lot of, you know how the modern liberal Christian defines oppression? Listen, the modern liberal Christian defines oppression by someone else getting that promotion instead of you. Amen? That's how the modern liberal Christian defines oppression. They've had to redefine oppression because they're not living for Christ, and it's only those that live godly in Christ Jesus that shall suffer persecution. So they've had to redefine uh, any kind of desire that they have that's denied. They've had to redefine that as oppression and persecution because they're not living Christ-like enough to have real persecution in their life. But if you really live for Jesus Christ, you're going to have some people that's going to hate you. You're going to have people lie about you. I mean, go ahead and bank it down. If you start living for God, you're going to have friends forsake you. You're going to have family members forsake you. You're going to have people lie about you. People talk down about you. People look at you funny. People do things they can to hinder you for the sole reason that you're standing for God. There will be oppression and persecution in the life of the Christian that lives for God. Do you believe that God will preserve you according to His will? I believe He will. I believe He will. I believe no matter what you face, if you've humbled yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, He'll exalt you in due time. And anything, if you're humbled under the mighty hand of God, for anything touch you, it's got to slip through His fingers first. It comes through His hand, His will, His desire for your life. Abraham says, come what may, I believe God's going to preserve me and preserve my son. You notice he didn't say, I'm going to go yonder and the Lord's going to stay my hand and I won't sacrifice Isaac and then we're going to come back. That's not what he says. 
He says, we're going to go yonder and worship and then we're going to return again. Abraham was not trying to constrain the will of God in his life. He was not trying to limit God or define what God's will would be for him, but rather he was taking the promises of the Word of God and using them as a parameter, using them to define what God's will would be for his life. And I think every believer ought to do that. You know the problem with the name it and claim it Christianity? They're, they're claiming things God never named. They're claiming things God never named. People say, well, the reason you're sick is you haven't, you haven't planted a seed, a faith seed. That's a crock straight out of hell, neighbor. Your tithes ought to go into the local church, the local New Testament church, not some forked tongue televangelist out here. It ought to go to the work and cause of Jesus Christ. And you're not sick because you didn't plant a seed. You're sick most likely because it's the will of God for your life at that time and moment. I know many are sick and weakly among you for this cause and many sleep. And I understand that sin can be punished and chastised through sickness in your life. But I'll tell you why they want you to believe that. So you will sow that seed so they can live in a bigger house and drive a nicer car. Sometimes sickness is a part of the will of God. We see it in Job's life. Sickness was a part of God's perfect will and plan for his life. Suffering many times is a part of God's perfect will for your life. In fact, the book of, I believe it's Second Peter, tells me that I was called to suffer. Called to suffer. That's a part of God's will for the life of all believers in a sense, and for many believers in a very strong sense, a part of suffering. And we use that to define what God's will for our life is. In other words... I am anticipating that God is going to keep every promise that He made to me. We see a word of preservation given. I want you to notice third, we see a word of provision mentioned. Look at verse number 8. Uh, verse 7, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Boy, there's so much could be said about verse number eight. I'm thankful there was a there was a better lamb coming, aren't you? I'm thankful that same lamb is coming again. Only when he comes, he's not coming as a meat carpenter. He's not coming as a as a teacher of the people on the hillside. But he's coming as King of glory and power and in glory. He's coming to conquer. He's coming to shed blood and he's coming to set up his throne. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. That's true of that verse. But let's boil it down. Abraham had a need, a need, a very simple need. And you know what he says? He says, Isaac, son, God will meet that need. You say, where's his scriptural basis for it? What does he call the Lord? Jehovah Jireh. The Lord that provides. He had been provided for from the day he set foot out of the world into the will of God, set his face towards Canaan and started following God. He had been provided for every day since we don't. In fact, the Bible don't tell us of a single meal that Abraham ever missed. Do you know of one? <laughs> the Lord had provided for him and met every single need. And Abraham says, you know, Isaac, son, I believe God's going to continue to meet our needs. And in a very literal sense, we find that later in the passage, in verse number 13, I believe it is, God did meet that need. But let me say to you that part of our evidencing our faith in the fact that God will meet our needs, listen carefully to this, I don't want to be misconstrued, is giving God the time and the room to meet our needs. I am not uh, one of these that believes we ought to 
be reckless and careless. I, I don't believe we ought to blow everything that God blesses us with and then ask God to swoop in and make up the difference. But let me tell you what we're bad to do. We get in a bind and we want to go to everybody else to help us out before we ever give God an opportunity to do His work. Abraham could have made any excuse he wanted to. Abraham could have looked at Isaac and said, Isaac, you know, uh, let's go see if we can find us a lamb. Isaac, let's, let's go back to the herd and pick up a lamb. Isaac, let's go see out in the wilderness if we can find a ram somewhere. But that's not what he says. In faith, he says, God will provide himself a lamb. And you know what he did? He walked on. Let me tell you what a lot of Christians are not doing today. They're not walking on. They're not going ahead and serving God and letting God meet their needs. They're looking to everybody in the world to meet their needs. They're looking at every other means to meet their needs. And they're not giving God the opportunity. You say, it's not scriptural. Sure it is. The Lord said, prove me. He said, try me. See if I'll not open the windows of heaven. See if I'll not meet your need. And neighbor, I don't think we ought to put ourselves in a bind recklessly. But I think when we find ourselves in a bind, probably you live long enough. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what your paycheck is. Probably you live long enough. You're going to have a time when your needs have to be met supernaturally. <laughs> Why don't you give God the opportunity to work? I'm not against people helping each other. I'm not against that one bit. But I'm for letting God meet the need. And I'm for letting God intervene. You know why that Abraham could say this? Listen carefully. Abraham could say that God will provide a lamb because he was in the will of God and being obedient to God. And when God asked something of him, he gave it. You know what the Bible says? David said, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. The righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I'll tell you the quickest way. Some of y'all ain't going to like this, but the quickest way to get in debt is to quit giving to the Lord. You hear me? Some of you know that's true. Some of you have had times when you've skipped. And some of you have had times when you've let other things take the priority and take the financial means. And it wasn't two weeks till you find yourself in the red. I've been there, neighbor. Maybe you haven't, but I have. I can notice, and I'm not listening, I'm not trying to, this ain't about what takes place. Offerings done to, been took up, amen. I, I'm not trying to pad anything. I'm trying to give you something that's going to help you. I know in my life, most of the time, if I find myself in a dire financial shape and God is not meeting the need, if I look back, I can find something in my life where I've disobeyed Him or some area where I've robbed Him. Now, I'm not saying that you're never going to fall on hard times if you're giving the Lord, because certainly you are. But I'm saying times when it seems like heaven is silent and times when it seems like the need is not being met. Many times if I look back, I find an area of my life, and it may be in money, but it may be in time. It may be in my testimony. It may be in the influence I have with others, but somewhere I've robbed God. We find that because he was going yonder to worship, God was meeting his need. Because he had offered Isaac, God was meeting his need. And neighbor, don't be surprised if you begin to rob the Lord. Don't be surprised when you find that your bags have holes in them, as the Old Testament teaches. We see a word of pr- That was fun, wasn't it? Amen? Some of you... <laughs> some of you look nervous. Look at verse number 14. I'm going to let you go. You've already put up with enough, haven't you? The Bible says, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. 
we find a word of praise. A word of praise. We find when God met his need, he gave God the glory. That evidence is faith in his prayer life. Praiseless people are prayerless people. Mark it down. People that aren't praising God. Listen, I'm not talking about, and I know we all, I love to see a service get real high and wound tighter than eight day clock. I mean, I love to see God just sweep in. But I'm not even talking about that kind of praise. I'm talking about your daily life permeating the goodness of God. I'm not talking about what you say in a church house. I'm not talking about what you say standing behind a pulpit. I'm not talking about what you say in a church service. But I'm talking about what you're saying to the bag boy, the grocery store. I'm talking about what you're saying to the banker. I'm talking about what you're saying to your family. I'm talking about your everyday conversation permeating with the praise of God, what He's done for your life. Most of the time, people that aren't doing that, it's because they're not praying. It's much the same way as it correlates between giving and provision. If we're not giving, we are not giving God an opportunity to meet our needs through His provision. If we're not praying, we're not giving God an opportunity to answer our prayers. That's simple, isn't it? If we're not praying, we're not giving God an opportunity to answer our prayers. And if we're not giving God an opportunity to answer our prayers, we're not giving ourselves an opportunity to praise Him for answered prayers. It was because of the trip of the, the mountain that Abraham could say what he said. We find that his whole life is permeated by this walk of faith. It evidences this walk of faith. And faith is an evidential thing. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. But faith is going to have evidence. Faith will be evidence of things hoped for. But the evidence of faith is the change it produces in your heart and life. The change that it makes in you. God didn't save you so you could be the same old sinner. Is that too simple? God didn't save you so you could live the same way. I'm not saying you're not going to mess up. I'm not saying you're not going to sin. Of course you're going to fail. I fail. We all fail. But I'm saying the purpose of God. You say, I thought it was about faith. And it is about faith. Salvation is by faith. Plus nothing, minus nothing. But the Christian walk, we're told we're foreordained to good works that we should walk therein. God saved us so that we might walk with Him. God saved us so that we might declare His goodness and praise and glory amongst the heathen. God saved us so that we might evidence the faith in our life through the life that we live and others see. Maybe you're here tonight and you have to sadly admit that there's some area of your life in which you're not putting your faith in God. Don't despair, neighbor. You're in in good company. You go through the Bible and you find time after time great men and women of God that had times of doubt and times of faithlessness. But listen, what made them great is they didn't stay in that shape. They came down and they got the help they needed from God. Maybe there's some area of your life, or maybe you're here tonight, and you would have to admit that you don't know whether you're saved or not. This is all foreign to you. You don't know what any of this means. But you want to get it settled. You don't want to die and go to hell. You want to get it settled that Christ is your Savior, heaven is your home, and that you belong to the Spirit of God and that He indwells in you. Tonight it's time to do business with the Lord, and I hope that you will tonight.